Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Hello, my beautiful book nerds. As we all adjust to new normals, I want you to rest assured that I'm here and I'm thinking about you. Maybe you need company, so you downloaded this episode. Maybe it's part of your routine and you wanted something to feel normal. Maybe you're planning for instruction at home or virtually and needed ideas. Regardless, I'm glad you're here. We recently recorded an episode of Kidlit These Days, that's the podcast I do at Book Riot, and we centered on how Kidlit is combating the COVID-19. I'll share that this weekend, but you're welcome to use the link in the show notes if you want to access it early. As a librarian, I've been thinking nonstop about how to help my students and their families, but I know we're all helping one another most by staying indoors and distancing ourselves socially for what we all hope will end shortly, even if shortly is a relative term. Stay healthy, read good books, and come back to listen if you need some good company. We'll be here waiting for you. And now, on to the show. Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the Complete Picture Book Submission System, You have one chance to make an impression with an agent or editor with your picture book submission. The complete picture book submissions system will help ensure yours stands out above the rest. Created by New York Times bestselling author Emma Walton Hamilton and 12 by 12 picture book challenge founder Julie Headland, the complete picture book submissions system provides an easy to follow step-by-step foolproof process for every aspect of crafting submissions. No more fear, no more guesswork, no more reinventing the wheel each time you submit a new manuscript. To get their seven-step submission checklist, visit picturebooksubmissions.com today. That's picturebooksubmissions.com. Deborah Marcel, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Shall we count how life has passed since you and I last talked? <laughs> life has passed. It certainly has. <laughs> how can two friends stay close when the world makes us be at a distance from one another? This is the Children's Book Podcast. Episode number 577. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. 
Today I'm joined by Deborah Marcero, author and illustrator of In a Jar. Deb and I first connected on this podcast for her debut, Ursa's Light. Her newest picture book is about storing memories, shared or gathered on your own. It's about making what's distant near. There's something very special about experiencing something with someone else, and Deb's book speaks to being present, to stopping and noticing. I know we're distant now, but I hope you can call on those memories and feelings you've stored in jars, and I hope they can make you feel comforted. Please welcome my guest, Deborah Marcero, author-illustrator of In a Jar. My name is Deborah Marcero, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am an author-illustrator of children's books. Deborah, it has been so long since we talked, and I I want you to know that I have watched your career and have <laughs> held your books closely through this journey that you've been on, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that's been here just rooting you on and adoring your books, but the book that brings us back together tonight, that reunites us, is one that's so special that I, I think I said this to you off recording, but I, I want to say on that um, I, I, I'm confident that I will struggle to find the right words to articulate to you today just what this book means to me, one reader. So thank you for In a Jar. <laughs> thank you so much, Matthew. I'm so I'm so grateful to be here with you and talking about this book because it's it's been a long journey and it means a lot to me to have it end in the world right now. Um, just came out on the 21st of January. Very, very recently as of, mm-hmm. as of recording this, I would love if you don't mind introducing this books to folks listening. And then as we go into our conversation, I think I I'll be able to talk about um, what I see in the book as well, but could you introduce mm-hmm. in a jar to folks that haven't encountered it yet? Yes. So In a Jar is about two rabbits. Um, one name is, one is named Llewellyn and the other is Evelyn. And Llewellyn is introduced as the main character first and he collects things in jars. So at first it's small things. And then when he meets Evelyn, they start collecting larger things together, more abstract things. Um, and they wander through the seasons collecting memories and small moments and a sense of wonder and Toward the kind of the full circle of the year, Evelyn has to move away. So it's also a story about loss and a friend having to move. And the book is kind of answering the question, how do you um, keep that connection with a deep friend um, when someone's moved away? And because of the way that they've kind of shared this time and experiences together, um, they figure out a way to do that, that um, hopefully touches the reader in a way that I've kind of experienced um, friends moving away. I've moved away from my friends and just this kind of idea of 
um, staying in touch and never losing those times that you've had with another because they're always going to be part of you. I find this to be a book about collecting things that are, I guess the word we would use is effervescent. In some cases, they're, they're hard to grab, hold to grasp, hard to grasp. And yet Llewellyn and Evelyn um, grasp them as as if they're nothing. And I find that to be much like how, how a kid can even something as simple as like bring a stick in from outside and that stick looks so ordinary to everyone else, but has such exquisite meaning to them and they can remember and recall that significance because there's an, there's a memory imprinted on it. There's sort of yes. a bit of that going on here as well, that I think some of these things that Llewellyn and Evelyn collect, uh, if someone else encountered them, they might mean nothing or feel frivolous, but yet for the two of them, because of that bond, they mean absolutely everything. Yes. It's, it's, it's the sense of kind of what it means to experience something with someone else. And when I was a kid, you know, I would, I would stay close to the ground sometimes and, and captivated by those little tiny things that didn't, they just filled me with wonder. Um, and then to be able to kind of share that with a friend and have those kind of unique oddities of these small moments just build that connection and friendship. It was what I was hoping to capture. I love from really just looking at the cover, but I would have to say throughout, there's so much of your voice as a as a as a picture book designer, as a as a person that looks at where things go and how things fit together, there's so much here throughout that speaks to that. And one of those things, I think, um, that first greets the reader is just the name Llewellyn and how mm. you've got these rabbits who, as you've drawn them, their ears stick straight up and are often <laughs> parallel to one another. Something that I quite adore because it feels like something a kid can draw just <laughs> like you. And I feel like designs that kids can replicate are so hard to do because mm. to get to that level of simplicity is quite complex. But you have this name, Lou Ellen, with two pairs of L's in the <laughs> name. And we meet this character that upon meeting his pair um, really wants to have a pair. Does that, does that make sense the way I'm saying that? <laughs> yes. Like it's kind of hard to spell Llewellyn without another bunny, another set of bunny ears going up in the name. I'm maybe being like way, way, way too sentimental about this. I told you I was going to struggle with getting words out of my mouth for this. <laughs> That you know, it's interesting with that name Llewellyn because I I wanted to keep it, even though it's maybe a little bit difficult. Because some people are like, "How do you pronounce it? Where do you put the emphasis on the syllables?" But I was so happy that my publisher 
and my editor said, yeah, sure, we're going to keep that name because the musicality was so intentional and meaningful for me between Llewellyn and Evelyn and to just kind of have those sounds resonating and kind of echoing their friendship, just like their ears. And I love that you noticed the two L's, the double pair of L's. I think that's um, <laughs> that's uh, exactly what I was kind of it's it's that um resonance and assonance and consonance that's yep. kind of happening within their names that kind of just gives the synchronicity uh between them immediately just through the sound yeah and by looking at the two words in print next to each other they they mm. share a lot of letters but they also mm-hmm. sort of they sort of look the same the mm. the letters go from small to big to small in sort of the same way uh, there's this asymmetry in that way. Um, not just to, to spend too much time on the name. So let me move on to other things. Mm-hmm. But I, I find um, much like way, way, way back when we talked about Ursa's light, mm-hmm. that you have this this beautiful attention to texture and to patterns. And, and almost as if you're blocking the patterns as if you're working in collage and and yet you're not <laughs> that that you you more it's almost as if you have you're demonstrating a strong uh sense of 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 textile placement but working on a flat surface with with paints and inks and that is something that i find so intriguing mm-hmm. I don't remember if you said before where that comes from. So maybe I'll just ask outright. What draws you to draw as you do with so many lines and patterns and shapes? Yeah. So this um, between, I think my heart is a compass um, and this book, I've kind of shifted and returned to pencil more as a part of my texture. But even when I was talking to my art director about the way that I use pencil, the whole intention is that it doesn't read as pencil first, that it's just actually describing that you see the tree or the grass or the, you know, the shadow first. And then you're like, oh, that's pencil and kind of layering the pencil and these kind of little textural marks that kind of create a vibration and an energy alongside and adjacent to or overlapping the watercolor in those intense kind of rich colors. It kind of evokes a feeling. So in when I was creating the character design, I wanted them to be so simple because I needed them to stand out. I didn't want them to compete with the things that I was doing in the texture of the pencil and the richness of the watercolor. And what, and that's how they be kind of became these kind of cartoonish, simple forms, but I think they complement. And then when you see the page, they're not competing with what's going on in the scenes, which are, you know, these tiny little scenes that are kind of unfolding the story to the bigger spreads that are. And then immediately, I always want the reader's eye to go to the character, the main character and the drama kind of then secondary around them, what's happening, if that makes sense. I I can understand that. And I feel like you play with making the character easy for our eye to find right away 
right and more difficult and there's a there's a tension there that I wouldn't have been able to call out without you saying that you're deliberately trying for us to get to find the character because when you switch to shadow um I'm overwhelmed with all that's going on often in the sky mm. and that and yet it's so easy to find our characters Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. most beautiful way this is a book that i could read to you page by page here <laughs> to, just to be like do you know what you wrote it's so good but i wonder if you don't mind if i start with reading some text where um Llewellyn and evelyn meet so that i can give a sense of um a sense of what magic is at work in this book in regards mm. to the the things they're collecting and, and and what they end up meaning is that okay if i start to read to you yeah, that would be great. great. Um, on on the page that I've been sitting on with all of the um, textures of, of the lake, of mm. um, this red, beautiful red shore, and these, when you've drawn mountains, you've sort of drawn them in, well, I'll take myself back. It reminds me of when I was in um, Boy Scout camp, and we were looking at the maps of the woods, the elevation maps. These lines, the way that you layer your 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 topography in that way, looks like that. Too. Oh I, yes, I'm really drawn mm-hmm. to that. But anyway, your text reads: One night, the sunset painted the sky the color of tart cherry syrup. Llewellyn ventured down to the shore with as many jars as he could carry. A little girl named Evelyn was there too. Llewellyn scooped that cherry light into his jars, and when he was done. He gave one to Evelyn. Evelyn took the jar home, and to her surprise, it glowed through the night with the memory of that sunset. Hmm. You've got all sorts of funny-shaped jars throughout the book that end up being... Well, they end up acting as frames for some of your illustrations, um, as well as, as... I think a way to visualize how could that possibly be contained, that thing that they're talking about. And then you just show us, here's how, here's how. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah, I love the jar as a container that's see-through and yet it's kind of this idea of we kind of hold these memories inside, but we can open that jar whenever we want. And then when we remember them, just like... Evelyn and the jar that glows through the night with the memory of that sunset. I so often feel that way about something that I experienced with someone or that was just a sense of wonder. I feel like it it's made an imprint on me that stays and it feels like this living thing that is bigger than anything that could fit in a jar, but there it is on this on this bedside table in a little jar, you know, and that I just carry around with me. 
That's my favorite line in your entire book when you say they collected things you might not think would even fit in a jar, but somehow <laughs> they did. <laughs> and the examples are like they collected the wonders of winter and the newness of spring. You go on, but it's it's mm-hmm. playing around with that. Well, I guess if I were to call it out, when I first read your book, I felt, and this is because of what I read growing up, but I felt immediately like this is sort of, this story is sort of sharing a soul with The Giver by Lois Lowry. Mm. Just because of this notion of someone who is in charge of holding on to all the feelings, all the memories. And in that case, that was a dystopian book where People don't want to feel, and so one person is in charge of feeling it all. But in in a jar, I feel like it's a testament to those those folks that are sensitive and that do feel it all and that experience moments in ways that perhaps only they can collect them. Yes. Yeah. I think each of us are the givers in our own unique way. I think, um, you know, talking about this book, I think it's, we are, we are walking around in our lives and there are different things. If you and I had the same day and we were walking through the same day, exactly kind of like moment to moment, we would each collect different things. And I think that that is a reflection of us, what is important to us, what has meaning for us. So like, even though we may have had the same exact agenda, we will have a completely different set of jars or small moments or memories at the end of that day. So it, it feel it's like it is this kind of unique kind of reflection of who we are, the things that we collect that are, end up being important to us from a week ago or a year ago or 10 years ago, you know, those things that, you know, so many times, so many moments pass us by and we don't collect them. And then there are some that do. And, for some, some have reasons and some really don't. They're just kind of, um, I think they're just kind of, it gives us glimpses into ourselves. How do we learn to collect them, Deborah? Do you <clears throat> think that's something that, that someone before us or someone in our life shows us? Is that something that is innate? Mm-hmm. As you were thinking of your mm-hmm. reader, perhaps that didn't even cross your mind, but as we're talking now, it's crossing mine, and I wonder I wonder how you think we learn to hold on to, to things, to savor things. Mm, I think, I mean, it taps into a theme that is very important for me in this book, just this sense of being present and this sense of just being, stopping and noticing. And so many of those times, it's like, is, is that sharing in that moment with someone. So part of the message in this book too, for me, or the meaning that I get for it is somehow when we share moments with another, it somehow makes it bigger. And I, it's like a mystery to me that is just, it, it fills me with a sense of awe and wonder. But I think today, 
you know, I can get just, I can have a full day where I get very distracted by emails or phone calls or, you know, things on my to-do list. And I realize that I don't just sit back and notice or just kind of, you know, it's that, no, I got to take a walk. No, I've got to kind of make time for just slowing down. And I think that sense of wonder and noticing can happen when we just make space for more play and rest and, I mean, that would be kind of my initial thoughts on that. Um, But I think it can be modeled from, you know, a sibling or a parent or a teacher. And just this is, you know, something I collected in terms of, you know, what would be important or just through the sharing of stories. I say collected as just kind of a metaphor, really, um, of what you might have noticed in that day, because I think we're all noticing different things at different times. If I may, I think that I think that this idea of sharing moments, having the potential to somehow make those moments bigger, even more significant. I feel like there's also that opportunity for it to make a moment feel smaller and less significant if shared with the wrong person and that Mm. that finding that that finding that person that you can share something with to make it feel big Mm. oh yeah is part of also (laughs) why grieving the loss of a person like that is so hard because i feel like you might ask whether or not things will ever feel Mm. that significant again i had a I had a really hard time um, moving when I was a child and I moved when I was in high school. Mm. But I remember also feeling, or as I reflect back, I remember, I feel that I sort of was just settling in and finding who I was among my friends and how I fit and starting Mm. to get people that were seeing me and that were reflecting back that they were seeing me and I was seeing them. Then suddenly we moved and I had to, start all over again and I I think that that you try to connect with someone right away and if that fails it can really cause you to distrust a lot of folks or to worry if there's something wrong with you I think I feel strongly for for Llewellyn in this book and for Evelyn that Mm. it means something to have a heart that wants to share but it also means something to, to be seen by someone else yeah to feel like you're received and you can receive them and you're just with each other and it is it's very powerful in that way it's so it's so simple but it's not easy or straightforward sometimes and I think when you find it and that little connection where you can see inside of each other and you kind of have that oh I see the same thing you know you and I we noticed that thing and we saw how special it was whatever it was you know because we all think different things might be special or funny in this way but that um, it connects us and then we feel less alone. Yeah. I mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder where this book, this idea, or maybe even it was just 
the characters. Maybe it was Llewellyn or these rabbits that you didn't even know yet. But I wonder <laughs> where this started for you, if you can if you can recall that. Yeah, I it's it's been um, it's been quite a journey. It it this was one of the first books that I wrote um, when I decided that I was going to try this as a career as an author illustrator in early 2013. I was kind of at a crossroads and a transition in my creative life and my teaching life, and. I decided that this was what I was going to do. So I went to a conference, uh, my very first SCBWI conference, just to hear what editors and art directors were saying and just to learn about this particular beautiful, you know, world of making books for kids. And I met my writing partner there. It was May of 2013. His name is Troy Cummings. And he's also an author <laughs> illustrator. I know Troy Cummings. <laughs> I did not know that was your writing partner. Notebook of Doom. Yes. So Notebook of Doom. And he came out with a book called Can I Be Your Dog? Which, yes. He visited my um, school for Can I Be Your Dog? So he, <laughs> I challenged him on that book to write an epistolary picture book, you know, a picture book about writing letters. And so we would challenge each other. Um, that summer, I, you know, we, we started writing over email, we started talking on the phone, and it was gave me like someone to share my work with. And in July, I sent him the first draft of the story, but it was called Four Keeps at that time. But it was and it was about two bears, not two bunnies. So I shipped it over to bunnies, but it was the same premise. They were collecting magical things in jars, things too big that a jar couldn't hold. Like I had the same exact line in that manuscript and um, the friend moved away. And they had to try to figure out how to, you know, how to maintain that connection and how to stay connected even after that sense of loss of moving away. And so I drew this huge room full of jars, I think I, with this little bear, and it ended up being, I think I, when I counted them, it was like 112 jars or something like this. And it was July of 2013, and it was just sitting on my table. And, you know, I was, I was working on it. I was honing it in, but I was also developing my illustration style. And so it's just kind of brewing in the back burner. I started journaling in jars in 2014. Like when I would take trips, I started just collecting my little moments of my trips to New York in jars. And then, um, I finally went on submission in 2015 and I got some interest, but it wasn't quite, there, um, I think it was my illustration. Also, I like, I was trying to find the style for this particular book. Um, but then it was 2016 that I, I was, I was struggling to find the story in, in the words, the way that they were unfolding, even though I had what it was about. So I got rid of the words, actually. I actually drew the story. I got rid of the words. So I drew it as a wordless picture book. And then when we went on submission, we got immediate interest, but all the editors wanted me to write the words 
They said, can you write some words to the story? As it turns out, I already have the words in a jar. (laughs) (laughs) I did. So it was like I found the story beats in the illustrations without the words. And then when I went to put the words back in, it took a couple of days um, using that original manuscript and then these new bunny characters. So it it kind of has a long rooted history, (laughs) but it's, Um, But it also I loved that my illustration style got to develop and sharpen and bring pencil back into it it, because the tone feels just right for the story um, in a way that I I hadn't found yet in 2013 when I was first drafting the, you know, that initial manuscript. Um, So I wrote the manuscript in a few days and within three weeks, the book sold. And and then here we are. Um, with Deborah, the book today, Deborah, your work in this book is is exceptional, and I I don't say that lightly, and I don't say that mm. often. One of the things I'm most impressed with in this book not only is how beautifully the text and the words land together, as well as apart mm. from one another, but mm. also how how big a world you show us through your art. And I feel like you, there was, there, there was possibility that you wouldn't have gone as big as you would have. You allowed us to follow Evelyn and Llewellyn through seasons and through tulip fields and (laughs) through times of day and moments that we the reader have shared being under the stars watching a sunset hearing noisy crowds to things that were so uniquely theirs and not even discussed Mm. and the way that the story lands as it needs to by showing us for the first time in the entire book the jar opening a jar open to the other that there wasn't a need to open the jar before other than to put the memory in. Mm. But I guess what I'm trying to say is to, to, to end the story. And I don't think it's giving anything away because of how subtly you do it, but rather I'm saying it because I want folks to notice because that was something that I didn't want to turn from Mm. The, the, the power of, what it looks like to allow the memories of someone else mm. to reverberate through your life. That was something mm. altogether beautiful. And um, I don't know. I just found myself, I find myself now out of words, but because <laughs> I'm, I'm just profoundly moved by your book. And I think that mm. that's, that's, that's probably the last I should say about this book. I should leave room for others to say more. And I hope that they do. I, I, I hope mm. that your readers of any age are able to find the means to articulate to you what this book means to them. Because I have a feeling that it means something very personal to you as well. And knowing how how closely we connect with this story means Mm. that we are all capable of connecting this closely 
with one another, that we have that capacity, not just mm-hmm. to share our memories, to share the things we care about, but also to connect. Yeah. And, um, and that, that means something to me. So thank you. Thank you truly mm-hmm. for the work you did here. Oh, thank you, Matthew. I'm so delighted to hear how it touched your life and your heart. Um, that means a lot to me. I, I want to leave us by giving mm-hmm. you a chance to give words to readers, because I think that that's really important. I think it's important that they don't just see the words that you've given them on the page, but when we have the opportunity that we librarians and teachers are, are also giving readers your voice. So I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning, Deborah. Mm-hmm. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? I would like to say um, it's in a few, a few words more than a few words. It's, I would like to have you imagine, or if you even have a blank piece of paper in front of you to think of a jar and draw a jar. It could be any size or shape. It could be big, tall, tiny, short, skinny. It could be square or round. Once you have that jar in your imagination or on your paper, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think of something that happened this morning, last night, or this past week that maybe made you smile or laugh. Maybe it filled you with wonder or curiosity. Maybe it made your day or something that made you sad or angry or frustrated. And once you have that moment in your mind, I want you to open your eyes and I want you to put that thing at that moment that experience in your jar and if you have a blank piece of paper you can draw that thing in your jar and what I want to share with you is just through that little exercise right now what you just drew or what you put into your jar or on your paper is the heart of a new story that you could write So I just want to say that every day you're collecting memories and small moments and experiences and emotions and that you can remember them and draw them and write about them because by writing about them, it's just another way to open that jar and share your life and share your story. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 550 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed.
We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.